Romans chapter 5, please. Romans chapter 5. So many of you, I imagine most of you here now were at the movie and Peter was just talking about it. Just an incredible time. And I, I felt so blessed um, to see all of you and all of the people that will be in these three services this morning and even dozens and dozens and dozens of more people who don't go to our church come to this movie as an outreach of our church. Uh, they thought they were just watching a movie, but we gave them a surprise attack um, at the end of the movie. Um, and it just an incredible. I, I felt so blessed because you guys got to see our heritage. And I know that many of you, in fact, I was thinking, we actually have a, a, a couple people who were around during that time. <laughs> and, uh, G and Lori are our friends and ministers and members of our church here, and they, they were around at that time. And I thought as they were watching the movie, man, this must really take them back. But you guys got to see and be able to identify, wow, this is what our church is like. This is what Calvary Eldoret is like. We had one testimony in our um, worship devotions yesterday. We always pray and study the Bible together as a worship team. We're not just about singing. We're about growing together in Christ. And so one of the testimonies, actually, Naomi said, she goes, I'm one of those hippies. Um, so you're a bunch of African hippies at Calvary Chapel Eldoret. People who understand what it means to be broken. And it doesn't, you can be broken without ever having done drugs. People who understands what it is to have great pain in your life and to, um, I'm gonna embarrass the guys in here. They'll feel so bad. They're not even down there. The understanding of what it means to finally encounter the real and living God who cuts through so many, in fact, all of the religious barriers that human beings set up. We have an insatiable propensity to build religious barriers around our churches. Just build brick walls invisible brick walls that people can't penetrate unless they conform to our religious ideals. And that's exactly what God broke down during the Jesus revolution. It's that people can come in who are different. Who, people can come in who are dirty, both spiritually and physically, who are going to dirty up the carpets and uh, ruin the religious status quo because God eats with the tax collectors, the publicans and sinners. You got to understand that I believe that many even born again people who are leaders of churches would be greatly offended with Jesus Christ today if he came in person. I believe that I would even have a tendency to be like, who is this? Now, I'm not saying if it was Jesus, you know, but a, a guy who showed up who behaved like Jesus did in the New Testament, it would be very shocking to us. Um, and 
I, I just, I was so blessed this last couple days to, you know, when I showed up to this country in 2010, I had already come in 2009 and I returned to live in 2010 and um, I went into a, a, a knockout the day after I arrived in Kenya and I heard Chuck Smith preaching over the loudspeakers. And I thought, oh my, what is this? This is, a stra- this is strange. It's almost like I entered another galaxy. Chuck Smith is on the speakers at Nakamat in Nairobi. It's like, well, God, praise the Lord. Next day, I was in, in a chumi, and John Corson was on the loudspeakers in a chumi. And I thought, well, at this point, I was blessed and discouraged. At the same time, I was like, Lord... Calvary Chapel has already conquered Kenya. Why am I here? You got to think that this is the last great revival of the world other than the closed uh, 1020 windows such as places in China and different. There are revivals going there. But in the free world, this is the last great revival. And this is our heritage. This is who we are. Um, So many single mothers can go into different churches around this nation and feel very condemned and guilty already they're feeling guilty and then the way they're treated the way people look at them things like that and that's just one example of dozens and at calvary chapel that's not the case we if you know i'm very conscious if people are treated bad here i don't like it Um, and really for the most part everyone does very well uh, and welcoming people to our church. So, guys, we had one guy, he, he was this um, Black Hulk, this huge guy. I don't know, he'll, he maybe even will come this morning in one of our services. Just somebody had invited him to the movie. Very nice guy. I was talking to him before the movie. I always see him riding his bicycle out of the uh, Rupa gym. He's probably a personal trainer there. He, he could rip our heads right off with one arm. A big, strong, mutant cult w- walks down to receive Christ on Friday night. Let's give a hand clap to the Lord. It's just, it's incredible. Next Sunday, we're going to have a video of the event and all the interviews we did and footage of people coming down to receive prayer. And we're going to be able to encourage our church with that next Sunday. And really the heart of all of this, the heart of the movie itself is reaching out to people with the gospel, no matter what they look like, no matter what their background, no matter what they're currently involved in. So the Lord is really pouring out his spirit through Calvary Chapel Eldoret and this movie validates so much of our ministry, I believe, um, for those who love Christ and it's going to give those who hate us more of a reason to talk bad about us because we rented out a movie theater for two nights. And I asked the people, I said, has the church ever rented out a movie theater? And they said, no, no church has ever rented out this movie theater. The one gentleman who was really, we were supposed to be very strict with time, um, uh, 20 minutes after the movie, 
and I went a little bit over both nights. Um, but the guy who was coming in to tell us to stop, he was he he looked up, he was upset. He's I want this to stop. He walked in during our prayer time, and instead of telling us to stop and being angry, he immediately started smiling, pulled his phone out and videoed the prayer time, the manager of the movie theater. And when we were done, I'm like, I'm, 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 I'm sorry about going over. And he said, it's for the kingdom, man. You're coming back tomorrow, right? So we're blessed. Romans chapter five, verse 12, the Bible says, therefore, just as though one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. For unto the law sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. But the free gift is not like the offense. For if by the one man's offenses many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation, but the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification." For if by the one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who received abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Therefore, as through one man's offenses judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation, even so through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulted in justification of life. For if, as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offenses might abound. But where sin abounded, Grace abounded much more, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So this is not just one of those things that I talked about last Sunday where Paul will go on these doctrinal, um, or as you say, doctrinal, doctrinal uh, um, intense, profound theological doctrines, and then he will come into this high, okay, now that you understand what I just said concerning man, concerning God, concerning the pagan, concerning the religious moralist, concerning the religious Jew, concerning even yourselves, the church, then he'll start preaching, as we uh, learned in verse 6, um, through... Uh, verse 11, not complicated. In fact, he's just proclaiming the beauty of the doctrines that he's talked about, doctrine of reconciliation and, and the beauty of a God who will stand in the gap when we desperately need saving. Who will save us? Jesus Christ will save us. And so now he goes back to understanding some doctrine. 
And there's a couple twos. In fact, all throughout the scripture, you'll find that there's these number sequences. Um, In one of my favorite passages of scripture ever to preach is Matthew 7, the last chapter of the Sermon on the Mount, or really the entire Sermon on the Mount, profound portion of scripture. There are four twos in Matthew chapter 7. There are two standards. Judge according to God's standard, not man. So there's God's standard, there's man's standard. There are two ways. There's the narrow way and there is the broad way. There are two wills. There is God's will, there's man's will. And the Bible says that the broad way is people who do their own will and the narrow way is after becoming born again, the great sign of being born again is walking in the will according to our works, the will of God. We're not saved by works, but it's important to understand that those who are truly saved have real repentance. So there's two wills, and then there's two buildings in Matthew 7. There is the building upon the rock, who is Christ Jesus, and there's the building upon the sand, which is the ideals and philosophies of mankind. And if we build according to man's ideals, uh, man's philosophies, man's beliefs, our building will collapse, our homes will collapse. If we build on the rock Christ Jesus, obedient to him, then our families and our marriages and our personal relationship with Christ, it will stand the test of our lives. So there's four twos here. We have a couple twos. We have two men being described here. We have Adam and Jesus Christ. We also have two um, ways of life, or let's say we have life and we have death. The way of Adam is the way of death. The way of Christ is the way of life. It says there in verse 12, Therefore, just as one man sin entered the, the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned, for unto the law sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. So before we do, uh, get into that, there's something very important that we must understand concerning our history. This is going back to history and building because so much of what we need to understand concerning doctrine has its first meanings, its roots in human history, namely what is being described here and most of what, in fact, all of what we can comprehend today has to come from where we come from. And that is our history of humanity with Adam. To understand Genesis 1, 2, and 3 is vitally important to understanding the rest of the Bible. Vitally important. Now, it is important to note that many, even in the body of Christ, men and women who are born again, such as John Lennox, who uh, is a wonderful apologist, believes in a figurative Genesis account in many ways. A figurative 24-hour period during the days of creation. Even for figurative beliefs concerning Adam himself. All kinds of things that he ought not to believe. 
And here, um, and I'm not calling John Lennox out as a heretic, he's a, he's a born-again brother in Christ, but he's wrong about this with so many, what, what many refer to as Christian intellectuals. These are men who are even scientists who just will not believe in the literal teaching, the literal rendering of the Genesis account. And one of the things they should understand is looking at Romans 5 is the very doctrine of sin is built upon the very literal fall of Adam in the Garden of Eden. He actually was in the garden. He actually did eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And in that moment that he ate during a time period where he existed in the Garden of Eden, mankind fell. The Genesis account is a literal history of humanity. It's exactly what happened. It says, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. Adam is the federal head of humanity and because sin entered his body, sin entered his spirit, Sin entered his soul. Now every human being that would be born, including all of us here this morning, are born sinners. And if we are literally born with original sin because of the literal fall of Adam, we must conclude that the Genesis record is literal because the evidence is here this morning. We are sinners. We walk in sin, or at least we did a lot more before we were born again, I hope. So that's important to note, that the New Testament writers, including Paul here in Romans, write many times indicating that the Genesis record is not only a literal account of human history, but it is the very means by which we can understand why we are the way we are today. There should be no confusion on why people are born sinners. And by the way, if you ever got any, into any philosophy or debate or apologetics or any of these things, this is a huge issue. Is man actually sinful? You know, you can get into all kinds of humanistic philosophy, existential humanism and stuff. And and, and you realize that even Hollywood pushes this massive um, existential humanism, which really comes from a lot of the French philosophers. And, and I realize this can get a little boring, and maybe to bring it back in, I'll jump off the stage in a minute, but existentialism is, is simply you derive meaning and purpose internally is one of the ways to describe it. You, 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 so you figure out internally the meaning and purpose of your life. There's nothing external that can give you meaning and purpose. What you feel is what you should do, what, what makes you happy is what you should do, and all these things. And, and it is so anti-God, it's so anti-Bible. There is an external person who came down, God, in heaven, to earth, 
to, to show us who we are, to show us who he is, to reveal to humanity where they have gone wrong. They've been divided. They've been separated. He wants to bring reconciliation. He, he's not just giving us a way. He's giving us the way where we have strayed away from the time of Adam. I mean, I used to, the, the last couple years actually, uh, uh, I, I'll share the gospel with people all the time. And guys, I, I've thought to myself, because so many people don't get saved. And I thought, I've shared the gospel. I share with, in fact, it was interesting on Friday and Saturday, especially Friday, when we came out of the theater and we were late, there is all these Mohindis who were delayed in watching their Bollywood movie. Praise God for that. And a lot of them I know. I walk out and I'm like, hey, Kishan, you know, he's a works for years at Eagles Hardware and all these guys. I've shared about Christ. I've invited him to church. And I've asked myself, how is it possible that humanity has become so separated from God? So estranged. He is our creator. I mean, he created us. There's only one God. There's not 300 million. There's not 400 million. They're, they're all fake. They're all inventions of man's minds in their corruption, in their sin. We don't, we don't, the, the, listen, the, what was it called, Ed or Eid, this Muslim holiday on Friday? Don't ever congratulate a Muslim on his Muslim holiday. You've got to be kidding me. I saw Christians online uh, congratulating, and, and listen, don't feel bad if it's one of you. It was several of you, maybe not in this room, but... You guys, they're worshiping a false God that one day God will destroy them because of their worship if they don't repent. We don't need to be congratulating Muslims. We need to be warning them, warning them of the destruction that is to come. We learned last Sunday in Revelation 6 the kind of destruction that's going to come upon the world, including the Islamic world. Is this not true? Is the Bible not God's word? Of course it is. And I share the gospel with these Muslim friends of mine, Hindus, people, and I'm thinking to myself, how is it that they have become so separated from their creator? <clears throat> and not only are they separated from their creator, understand that, that God has put inside of his creation means by which they can connect to him. They're created in his image. Not only did he create them and he never separated himself from them in the sense that they have a consciousness, a moral consciousness. Now, we're separated from him in some ways, as the Bible talks. But even unbelievers have a moral consciousness that is violated when they sin. And are they crying out to Yahweh, to the one true God, Jesus Christ? No, they're separated from him. It's an amazing thing. And where did it all happened and happened here in the Garden of Eden. And now because he has been infected with sin, because of this, we are born sinners, wicked. I've quoted this many, many times. 
Um, and let me quote it again. It's the Minnesota Crime Commission actually It's like a ball outside or something. The Minnesota Crime Commission. Yep, I knew it. Little devilish child. Speaking of children, it's probably mine actually. They said every child is born a savage. He wants what he wants when he wants it. His mother's milk, his mother's attention, his uncle's watch. Deny him this once and he'll seize with murderous aggression if we're not so helpless would result in murder. This means every child is born a delinquent and if allowed to continue in their self-impulsive actions will grow up to be murderous, rapists, or murderers, rapists, and criminals. That is a very good description of the human heart. I even had my, my, my children at times when they were babies holding knives, running at their, 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 their brother or sister because they wouldn't give them a toy. And they would have stabbed them. And I'm going to stab that kid who keeps throwing that ball. <laughs> I got to play with what I'm given with, guys. I got I to do it. <laughs> so, no, no, I'm born again. Don't do that, Josh. All death has come through Adam. Sin is the cause of death. For unto the law sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. Now it's saying, okay, sin is um, um, not the, the, the result of sin to a degree is not enforced where there is no law. If there is a highway where there is no speed limit, um, then, then you can go. 180 kilometers an hour without getting pulled over by the police and getting ticketed or going to jail. But it is still a bad idea to go 150 kilometers an hour down and turn. You're still going to die because it's wrong. It's against the law. It's against common sense. It's against decency. So it's saying sin is not imputed where there's no, but nevertheless... Just because there was no law before Moses doesn't mean people weren't still dying before the law was given to mankind. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses. People were still dying from Adam to Moses because sin was in the world and sin was in them. Even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. He's a type of Christ in the sense that Adam, through his sin, infected the whole world. He is the federal head of humanity concerning humanity's destruction. Jesus Christ is the federal head of humanity concerning man's blessing and man's eternal life, which is the antithesis or opposite of destruction. He's a type, but if the free gift is not like the offense, it says, but the free gift is not like the offense. So he's saying, though Jesus Christ is a type of Adam, the free gift that is provided through Christ is superior to the gift of, well, it's not a gift, to the curse of death provided by Adam. 
So though they are both types, they are not to be compared with one another in the value of their person, and they are not to be compared with one another in the value of the blessing or the curse that they provide, which is good news. For if by one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace of one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many, as the gift is not like that which came through the one man who sinned, for the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation, but the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned through one, much more those who received abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. So now he's starting to compare. He, he, he says, okay, but the free gift is not like the curse. The free gift is not like the destruction of sin that Adam provided. The destruction that Adam provided brings death, for the wages of sin is death, the Bible says in Romans 3. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So this anger, this accusations of humanity upon this God of the Bible as not being fair, which even myself, I... I don't have this, there's only a couple times in my life I think I've been upset with God. I've never had that anger with God. I've had anger with others, and I understand, um, to, to, to speak truth and understand, any complaint is, against others is a complaint against God, and my sin is against God, but I never found myself directly being angry with God. There was one time when I was a kid, um, I, we lost a baseball game, and I did something terrible. I, 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 I made a bad gesture to the heavens, uh, as it were, which was, I'm glad I'm forgiven of. Um, but there was one question that I, I did have early on in my kind of conversion. I realized as I was trying to quit heroin, I realized that Man, this drug has destroyed me. I can't even pick up a decent-looking woman anymore. That was probably not needed to say. What I mean by that is women I was attracted to. I was this, I, I weighed 130 pounds. I had no money. I had no car. I had no home. And I... You know, I was a pagan, so don't judge me, but I'd go up to women I found attractive, like, hey, what's up? Want to hang out? They're like, no. What? What's going on? And kind of that deception, you think you still got something, and you look in the mirror, you're like, it's all right. But everyone else that looks at you is like, you look terrible. Eat some food, please. And, and, and I realized before I got saved that I need to stop. And I tried stopping so many times. And, and, and I couldn't. I had no strength to stop sin. It wasn't just the heroin. I realized I was a slave to so many things. I realized, and it was the Lord, by the way, revealing this to me. It wasn't my own intelligence. But I realized that I am not an a honorable man in any ways. 
With honor comes all these things. An honorable man has humility. An honorable, honorable man works hard. An honorable man, um, uh, uh, he, he does exactly what he says he's going to do. An honorable man is faithful. And all these desires that I had after seeing all of these movies my whole life, like you know, Gladiator or, or Braveheart, these men who would not budge on their convictions. They were courageous men walking into war. I don't advise you see Braveheart because it has one bad scene in it. But I watched it when I was a kid. It was, I wanted to be William Wallace. Uh, I wanted to be somebody who was strong and I was not that person. I was this miserable, prideful, selfish, self-loathing heroin addict. And I, and I realized when I was trying to stop, I had no strength to stop whatsoever. And as I was starting to think about these things, I was a little upset because I started to read the Bible a little bit. In fact, a lot. I read almost all the Bible in, in, in jail once. I was in jail a lot, guys. <laughs> a lot. I was in jail. It was terrible. It's the worst place. And I'd read the Bible and I thought to myself, you know, this seems a little unfair. This doctrine of original sin. So I am born with no ability whatsoever to do what's right. I cannot produce righteousness. I have no power to say no to sin. I have no power to say no to drugs, to pride, to idolatry, to sexual immorality. I have no power. So I am completely incapable and then I die and go to hell for the things I was incapable to stop? Oh my, this seems really unfair. I, I, I thought that. This seems, this seems odd. It's just, I, I, I don't think this doctrine of hell, I don't think this God here is a God that really understands. It was I who didn't understand. And until I read this portion of scripture in Romans chapter five, then that answer made all the sense to me. So is it fair? Well, there was one man who sinned. Now we're all born sin, but we're still responsible for that sin. But through one man all sinned, which seems a little unfair. Thanks a lot, Adam. You know, people say that. But the balance of God is this, that through one man all can be made righteous. Oh, God is a just God. God is a fair God, actually. He despises unbalanced scales. And Romans 5 teaches us, yes, we're incapable to produce righteousness, but in our sin that we are responsible for, God, through one man, Jesus Christ, has come to set all free from the sin that one man has entangled us in. So God is fair. God is just and God is gracious through one man to set us all free from the damage that one man caused initially because we are also responsible for our own sins. It was this portion of scripture 
that settled that for me, that question I had for God. And this is the portion of scripture, by the way, that you need to go to when somebody talks about God being unfair to send people to hell because we're all sinners anyways. How could he, how could he choose some and not choose others? It's us to choose Christ. For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of the righteousness will reign through life through the one Jesus Christ. Verse 18, therefore as through one man's offenses judgment came to all men resulting in condemnation, even so through one man's righteous act, excuse me, the free gift came to all men resulting in justification of life. Praise God for that. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Do you see the balancing? The the scales tipped now, giving an opportunity to humanity to have a way out of the death that one man brought us all into? God is just. He is fair. Moreover, the law entered that the offenses might abound. So, he's saying, why did the law come? Not that the law is bad. The law is a reflection of the nature of God himself. Of course the law is not bad. And we should strive to obey God. But the Bible's teaching us a very simple yet very important truth that we cannot obey the law. And therefore, the law came so that it could be a mirror, it could abound, sin might abound. It's like, okay, don't do this, this, this. Don't uh, steal, don't lie, don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't break the Sabbath. Uh, Honor your God, honor your parents, have no other gods. It's like, I've broken all of them. Now, I know death was still coming and is in my body before the law, But now that the law has come to humanity through the justice of God, through the fairness of God, God is doing it as a means by which we can see our sin and we can look for the Savior who is Jesus Christ. That's what Paul's saying. He's explaining to us, yes, but to the nation of Israel, exactly why the law came. They think the law came to Israel so that Israel could be exalted as a people group that is greater than other people groups. And he has spent five chapters dismantling that terrible lie in Judaism that they could obey the law. He's destroying that idea and he's giving them the exact reason by which the law came. And that reason is to identify our great need of a Savior. And in identifying that great need of a Savior, now Christ is preached so that we might have his righteousness given to us because we can't give our own righteousness to God. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. Praise God for that. What 
what he's saying is that our sin can never be greater than Christ's sacrifice. That his sacrifice is much more infinitely powerful than all the accumulated sin of mankind. Leave alone the accumulated sin of you. This is, this is such good news. We had people coming, dozens and dozens of people coming for prayer to receive Christ, to be forgiven the last couple days. I prayed with several people that said, I just want to be forgiven. I'm, I feel so guilty. I feel so condemned, people were telling us. And the, all the prayer team. Guys, I'm, I'm here to tell you. Uh, well, let me repeat what the actor said uh, representing Kay Smith, Chuck Smith's wife. Don't be so arrogant to think that God can't work through your failure. And I'm here to tell you, don't be so arrogant to think that your sin is greater than his sacrifice. You don't need to feel guilty. You don't need to receive condemnation from your guilt and condemnation from the enemy. We have been forgiven, set free from our sins, set free from the, the guilt of the past. And it is an arrogant thing, a prideful thing to think that we need to hold on to condemnation. And I believe, listen, that a lot of people hold on to condemnation. In fact, I think it's the major reason, the main reason why they do is because of pride. How could I do this? Let me tell you how you could do it, because you're a sinner. How could I? Listen, that's, that's already pride coming out when you begin with those words. How could I? How could I? How could I spend one moment in righteousness should be our question. It's like almost every other day is like, oh, got that wrong. Well, that would make sense why I got that wrong because it was Josh walking in the flesh. Hey, I did pretty good on that one. I'll, sometimes I'll be on a phone call and I'll, and I'll ask my wife, said, how did I do? She's like, you did good. You did gracious. That was Jesus. Like, oh, good. Because if it's Josh, it's not good. If it's Jesus in me speaking to that person through the vocal cords of Josh, which I'm, sh I'm sure it'd sound better if, you know, I don't know. I wish I had a deeper voice like Ken Graves. But I, I want Jesus to speak through me. And, 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 and guys, do you know how you can tell if it's the flesh or the spirit of God speaking through you? Because usually it's the second or third thing that you think to say, that's the Lord, because the flesh immediately wants to react. It's like, oh, oh. well, I'm, you know. Why would I be shocked when I sin? And because of this realization that I, guys, I'm not going to live in condemnation. I have faced guilt. I got my little brother hooked on drugs. He's in prison right now and has been hooked on drugs since the moment I got him hooked on them. Do you know how many times the enemy has tried to throw that in my face? 
He's sitting there watching me shoot heroin. My little brother. And he grew up doing the same stuff. The enemy's like, I, I walked in, I visited my brother this last summer. It's just, it, 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 it tore me to pieces. Try not to cry in front of him, just get in the car and just cry on the way home. Satan has taken that man and taken what was a beautiful young boy who was you know, more handsome than all of his brothers, growing up this beautiful long blonde hair, curls, probably looked similar to David, just one of those Absalom looking guys, you know? And to see his figure in, in, in prison, balding, hunched over, walk, his walk, his very walk looks like he's condemned. Just coming over. And I see that little brother of mine. And the enemy's like, that's what you did. And, the, and, and, and here's the deal. It, it, I am responsible in many ways for my sin. But let me tell you, I have learned over the years, because I used to walk in condemnation when the enemy reminded me about my brother, but I have learned over the years that I will not live in condemnation because I have an advocate with the Father, Christ Jesus, whose sacrifice is greater than my sin. I will not live in that guilt. I've learned over the years. To, sometimes, guys, this guilt has become so strong at times concerning my little brother that I will find myself talking to myself or, or talking not directly to the enemy, but I'll be saying, I'm forgiven. I'm forgiven. I look like a madman out on the street talking to himself. Sometimes my wife will be like, what are you saying? What are you saying? I'm forgiven. That's what I'm saying. A lot of the times. I'm forgiven. I'll speak it to myself. Moreover, where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through the righteousness of eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, we got all this doctrine, all that history, all that original sin, and he ends, guys, with this reality of we talked about the two twos. You have Adam and Jesus, these two men being described, but you have these two realities of death and life. The Bible is trying to get us to understand that eternal life is not a place. It's a position we hold in Christ. He wants us this morning to have life and life more abundantly right now. You know, I think about that movie and how Lonnie got back ensnared into his pride and sin. You could, you could visit. I, I, I loved how they portrayed that in the Christian life and in ministry, it's still messy. And I was thinking about this as I was thinking about this scripture, that when we walk in newness of life, you have the one Lonnie, but when you, when you walk in the flesh, you have the other Lonnie. It's the same for all of us. 
You, did you see the, the kind of power that God can use in a person who's walking in the Spirit? The guy just simply was gifted by God for evangelism. Golly, when he went out and l- sat down in the pouring rain on the sidewalk, that, by the way, that's exactly the kind of person he was. He would go out in the middle of the night because he'd be in prayer and he would go out on the streets and, or the beaches and just lay down with people and share Jesus with you. It's exactly who he was. And as he was just sitting there in the rain speaking to the Greg Laurie character because he was tripping on LSD, acid, that's just walking in the spirit. Like far out to borrow their words. <laughs> or, or when the in the movie, uh, when the love song band, it's like, yeah, well, the drummer won't be here next Sunday because he's going to be in jail fishing a drug rap. <laughs> and the camera pans to Lonnie Frisbee. He's like, that happens. It sure does happen when a lot of ex-drug addicts are getting born again, doesn't it? And then he got caught up once again in his sin and his pride. That could happen to us, and it does. Do you understand the kind of life God wants to give each and every person? It's, it's not just, okay, I'm born again, I'm going to heaven. No, he wants you to live an abundant life today, a life filled with peace, joy, a life filled with walking in the power of the giftings that God has gifted each individual person in this room. And I, guys, most of the people I know, and I know I'm supposed to be done preaching, but you got to hear this. Most of the people are just walking in awkwardness. They're just walking in insecurities. They're just awkward people, especially young people. They can't even talk to adults. You go try to talk to them. Just awkwardness. That's not who God created you to be, living in anxiousness, living in awkwardness and nervousness and fear. He wants you to blossom into the very gift that he has called you to walk in. People can't even look people in the eyes when they talk. It's awkward. You look at somebody and you're talking, they're like, wake up. Oh, wake up, you who are sleeping, the Isaiah prophet. Come out of your slumber and come into the life that Christ has called you to, a life of boldness, a life of courage, a life of love, where we can directly look at somebody, as we saw in the movie, and says, have you received Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? Why don't we ask that question more to the Muslim or Hindu? They're God's creation, too. Because so many of us are living in fear and not in faith and nervousness and awkwardness. Can't even have conversations with people. Just, just condemnation coming upon us, filling us, guilt, walking in guilt everywhere we go. No, the life that is being uh, talked about that's juxtaposed to death, it's not just this, okay, I'm born again, I get to go to heaven, stay out of my way until I get there. No. The the life that is being described here is an abundance of joy. 
It's, a, it's an abundance of peace. It's an abundance of boldness. It's an abundance of courage. It's, a, in a, it's an abundance of love pouring out from you through the Spirit of God to other people. Not this selfish, paranoia, slanderous, gossip, hateful, none of that. It's an abundance of the nature of God pouring out through us. That's the life that's being described here. It's an abundant life that we could pour out ourselves to our wives and to our husbands and to our children and to our friends and to our church and to our colleagues. That is the life being described here. In fact, the Bible says that this is eternal life. This is life eternal. It, it doesn't say to go to heaven. It, it, well, that's good. It doesn't say all these other things. It, it, it tells us exactly what life eternal is. is to, to know God and to know him whom God has sent. Eternal life is to know the person of Christ and to manifest the nature of that person to others around you. That's abundant life. I can see even Christians and and I can look at them and get to know them and not in a judgmental way. Please hear my heart and say they're living about 5% of the person God wants them to be. All the time. In fear that they can't get paid. So they got to, you know, kitikidogo, kitokidogo, just take a little bit. In, In fear, just living in fear. A shell of a person. They can't even manifest in their speech what they really are even thinking. It's all mask and hide, hid with so many things. I'm going to end as the worship team comes up to say that the life that is being spoke spoken of here, yes, it's the life of a Christian that's being born again. We have an eternal hope, but but. The life being spoken is that you would be the person God has created you to be. You would be that person God has created you to be. That's the life. As we pray, I want you to think about that. The gifts and calling of God are without repentance. He wants you to blossom into the beautiful gifting that God has called you to walk in. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you. I do pray, Lord, that this life being spoken about, that you give through Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, not only would be understood as getting born again, but would be understood as walking in the nature, manifesting the nature of God to others in the various calling and giftings that you have given each person in this room. And I pray you'd pour out your spirit to clarify and empower each person on what this scripture means and what life in Christ really means. And as Lord, as we worship you also in our offering, I pray that you would receive it as an act of love. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.